Welcome to Inspire, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm Kimberly Winston, sitting in this week for our host, Umbreen Khan. Last weekend was Memorial Day, the official start of summer. Well, it would be summer if I lived anywhere but coastal Northern California. Here, we spent most of the weekend indoors, away from the 40-mile-per-hour offshore winds that kept the temperature around 65 degrees. This summer is one of emergence, as we slough off our COVID restrictions and step back into a world we hope is normal, whatever that might mean now. In the Northeast and parts of the Midwest, this summer is also about another kind of emergence. Periodical cicadas, the ones that push out of the earth only once every 17 years, are back. The trees ring with their singing, and the streets, sidewalks, gardens, and parks are filled with their cast-off shells. Depending on your point of view, they are either miraculous or migraine-inducing, a wonder or a whopping pain. Either way, could we have conjured a more perfect metaphor for our first almost post-COVID summer? Turns out, cicadas have a long history of spiritual resonance that crosses cultures and faiths. I set out this week to explore that. When I call Dr. Doug Pfeiffer at Virginia Tech, I've got a burning question. Cicada, cicada. <laughs> Let's call the whole thing off. <laughs> most, most entomologists say cicada. But most people are not, like Dr. Pfeiffer, entomologists, scientists who study insects. And right now, if they are living in the northeastern United States, they are more than ready for the cicadas currently screeching in the trees to knock it off. Cicadas make that sound by rubbing their wings together in giant choirs that can hit 90 decibels or about the loudness of a power lawnmower. It's a sound that has been described as the caterwauling of a million cats, the mating cry of a race of aliens, or like being inside a giant jet engine. But for a lot of people, cicadas are not a nuisance but a joy, something to be celebrated and even revered as sacred. The ancient Greek poet Anacreon certainly thought so when he wrote this. We praise the auspicious cicada, enthroned like a king on the tree's summit. Thou cheerest us with exquisite song. Old age does not oppress thee, O good little animal. Sprung from the bosom of the earth, loving song, free from suffering, that has neither blood nor flesh. What is there prevents thee from being a god? But first, a little entomology 101, courtesy of Dr. Pfeiffer. There are two types of cicada. The annual cicada, which of course comes out every year, and the periodical cicada, which emerges in broods of millions from the ground every 13 or 17 years. There are 15 different broods of periodical cicada. 
They come out in different parts of the uh, eastern North America and in different years. Last year uh, was Brood 9. That uh, occurred in southwest Virginia, near where I am, and uh, adjacent North Carolina, Tennessee, and West Virginia. This year, Brood 10 is in northern Virginia, spreading north through uh, eastern Pennsylvania uh, and over through New Jersey. And Maryland, Delaware, Washington, D.C., Tennessee, Indiana, Kentucky, and Ohio. Brood 10 is the largest of the 15 broods of periodical cicadas in the U.S. They have black bodies with red eyes and red-orange markings on their, their wings and uh, somewhat on the body. So they, they look distinctly different, and they come out a little bit earlier, in uh, late April and uh, in, into May. A really remarkable difference is their developmental cycle. Uh, they synchronize their development. So a brood and an area will all develop at the same time and all emerge at the same time. This is an evolutionary strategy called predator satiation. So all the adults come out at one time. Predators can't put a dent in the population. But that swarm lasts only a few weeks. Periodical cicadas emerge, sing, mate, and die. And then the next generation burrows underground to feed for 17 years, in the case of Brood 10, before performing the whole show over again in 2038. That's the scientific side of periodical cicadas. But Jeremy Biles, an assistant professor of liberal arts at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, is more interested in the cultural side. And that, he says, as he reads to me from a book, goes as far back as ancient Greece, where the cicada was considered sacred to the gods Apollo and Dionysus. The story is that once, before the birth of the muses, cicadas were human beings. When the muses were born and song came into the world, some of the men of that age were so ravished by its sweetness, ravished by the sound of the muses, uh, that in their devotion to singing, they took no thought to eat and drink and actually died before they knew what was happening to them. From them sprang thereafter the race of cicadas, to whom the muses granted the privilege that they should need no food, but should sing from the moment of birth till death without eating and drinking. You have these ambivalent kind of qualities built into this myth. There is life and there is death. Cicadas, for the most part, tend to be symbols of rebirth. And, Biles tells me, this symbolism spans far beyond ancient Greece. Many Native American indigenous tribes and cultures considered the cicada sacred. The Hopi crafted dolls of cicada kachinas, spirit beings, and cicadas assisted the Navajos in their creation story, bringing them safely from an underworld into this one. You still see the cicada represented as a humped back flute player in Navajo art. Cicadas are symbolic in Chinese cultures, too. In the Han Dynasty, about 200 BC, small jade cicadas were placed on the tongues of the dead as a sign of immortal life and rebirth. In Christianity, Judaism, I think not so much, except kind of um, more colloquially as it gets taken up as a metaphor for rebirth. And how? Every Easter in a cicada year, Christian pastors of all stripes trot out the cicada as a symbol of Jesus' resurrection 
or connect the cicada's invisible underground presence and reliable appearance to the notion of an all-present but always unseen creator god. Josh Shoemaker, a Christian and avid insect lover, has even co-written an entire book on what insects can tell us about the Christian notion of the divine. It's called God and the World of Insects. They spend like 17 years underground. So they're underground in a dark world, a dark environment. And then they emerge to this this whole new realm and they come out. And it's kind of that way, I think, at least for me, from a religious standpoint, when we experience and be- become a Christian and we, we learn about God and we just, we were maybe in a place of darkness and now we've just come out to light. Then there's the number of years in a periodical cicada's life cycle. 17. For those into biblical numerology, that number signifies triumph over one's enemies or an ordeal. The Psalms list 17 enemies of Israel, and Noah's Ark came to land on the 17th day of the seventh month. And in New Age circles, the number 17 represents compassion, confidence, and spiritual awakening. You can buy cicada spirit candles, cicada amulets, and cicada yoga mats for performing the cicada yoga pose. Here's Josh Shoemaker again. I'm just in awe when I look and and think about that here is this insect that is in the ground for 17 years. And when I think about how, you know, God might look at that or look at his creation, it's kind of like this massive piece of art. So you have these different insects and they're all these little pieces of art. And cicadas are just one of the beautiful parts of that big picture. One thing cicadas are not in the Bible is locusts. Locusts are grasshoppers and they are more associated with God's anger or punishment than anything else. Think of the plague of locusts that helped convince Pharaoh to free the Jews, or of John the Baptist eating locusts in the wilderness to survive. I think there are sacred religious resonances in the cicada that go well beyond the kind of confines of traditional religions like Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, etc. That's Jeremy Biles again of the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Biles says, Periodical cicadas are objective ideograms, a sort of uber symbol that we can project all sorts of meanings and import on, including the Roman numeral X used to identify brood 10. So are you drawing a link then between what would I call it sacred eroticism that I associate with Julian of Norwich and the other especially female saints who, you know, went into raptures? Overthinking yes. of the body of Christ or looking at a crucifix yes, and the right. cicada. Yes, I think that's an excellent connection. If you look at that Roman numeral 10 as an X, it is also a form of a cross, right? And so it actually draws our attention to something linked with the crucifixion. And then with this sense of devotion to the cross and with some Christian mystics. And I think there's something here, a kind of link with asceticism, with discipline and devotion, I would say even an obsessive devotion unto the death of the self. That might be a lot of symbolism for one little bug to carry, but the point is clear. 
In other words, I think the cicada remains a kind of sacred symbol in everyday life to everyday people. And I think that this is maybe a way of getting at what people find so fascinating, compelling, and perhaps repulsive about cicadas, and in particular, the periodical cicadas, these broods of cicadas that erupt every 13 or 17 years. That's certainly true for David Rothenberg, who was described to me by an entomologist as a bug philosopher. He loves to tell people he is a cicada boy, born in a year periodical cicadas emerged, and he notes that they have marked a couple of milestones in his life, like his high school graduation and a move from the city to the country. He has written a half dozen books on the animals around us, including Bug Music, How Insects Gave Us Rhythm and Noise, and in it he ponders the meaning of the periodical cicada. Well, they tell us, first of all, you know, how wonderfully strange nature is and how so much of it amazes us and we haven't figured it out. We don't understand it. Maybe we don't need to understand it. We kind of share in the magic of it. It's no accident that scientists, when they wanted to scientifically name this group of cicada species, called them magicicada. They did that on purpose because it was like magic. 17, 13 prime numbers, that's like magic. That's like numerology. How could this possibly exist? A single one is so loud, it's like a machine. We're lucky that these periodical cicadas, each individual one is kind of soft. They're subtle. They go like, they're quiet, but there are millions of them. And that's where it gets loud. And that's just so fascinating. Rothenberg is a musician, and he is particularly tuned in to the sound of the cicadas. So that's the tone you hear when you're surrounded by cicadas. And it's like a drone, like familiar from Indian music, all kinds of music around the world. Drones are big, bagpipes, a single tone that underlays everything. It ends up not being boring because it grounds us. It's like the ohm. Yeah, it really is. The ohm is a kind of drone. Wow. And when you're in the middle of this, at first it does sound like this sort of scary noise that might bother people. But once you get into it and listen to it, you kind of inhabit it. You know, it grounds whatever sounds you decide to make. That ohm Rothenberg is referring to is the great sacred sounds oh, ha, and um chanted together. In Hindu teachings, the vibrations of those sounds represent the sounds of the universe, the sound of life, the sound of consciousness and enlightenment. All of that, he says, is contained in the rubbing of the cicada's wings. Rothenberg travels to witness the emergence of different cicada broods, usually with his soprano saxophone in hand. More than once, he has played along with them, letting them crawl over his body as he joins his song to theirs. Rothenberg, 
who is not traditionally religious. This is not a stunt, but a transcendent spiritual experience. It's incredibly humbling, but deepening, sublime kind of experiences. We know the sublime can be about feeling very small next to the grandness of nature, the hugeness of it. Millions, literally millions, and even billions of cicadas are out, and you're just one more voice, one more sound together in it. Don't think you're so great. You're the center of attention. Maybe play as quietly as possible so the cicadas are louder than you. You know, find a way into this. You're just one little thing. And that's tremendously empowering in a way to connect us to a nature that's so much bigger, louder, and, and more eternal than anything humanity's going to do. If we can share in this, we are getting in touch with something truly mystical and wonderful about nature and that elevates humanity in a way to being able to fit into this world that we so easily tend towards destroying. At one point, Rothenberg wrote a three stanza poem in praise of the cicada. Here he is reading the last verse. There will be low, soft wombs in the trees fluttering wings struggling to lift us between the trees. We will stare up again and wonder, who else has had to wait so long to face the air? No reason to go on except the only reason that matters. There's nothing else to do. This is the plan. This is our place in the plan. This is the sound. No periodical cicadas here in Northern California, more's the pity. That was David Rothenberg, author of Bug Music, How Insects Gave Us Music and Noise. We also heard from Dr. Doug Pfeiffer, an entomologist at Virginia Tech, Jeremy Biles of the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and Josh Shoemaker, author of God and the Insects. Coming up, we revisit a trip into the forest with a guide who takes Umbreen Khan on a Shinto-inspired forest bath. Stay with us. friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. We're a national show, and we are a small and mighty team committed to bringing you stories and sounds from around the world that convey not only the diversity and the pluralism of our country, but the beliefs that are shaping our world, our politics, our culture, and the ideas that sustain us and inspire us to think about where we are going. And that brings me to this question. If you value us, if you enjoy listening and appreciate what you're hearing, I want to ask you to take a moment to consider becoming a sustaining member of Interfaith Voices or make a one-time donation at interfaithradio.networkforgood.com. That's interfaithradio.com. 
www.networkforgood.com. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. 